This was brought to you by The Vine on YouTube and The Storyteller on Facebook. The Blind Owl By a bend in the road was standing a ramshackle hearse with two gaunt black horses harnessed to it. The old man sprang up with surprising nimbleness and took his place on the driver's seat. I climbed onto the vehicle and stretched myself out in the sunken space where they put the coffins, resting my head against the high ledge so that I should be able to look out as we drove along. I laid the jar on my chest and held it in place with my hand. The whip whistled through the air, the horses set off, breathing hard. They moved with high, smooth paces. Their hoofs touched the ground gently and silently. The bells around their necks played a strange tune in the damp air. In the gaps between the clouds the stars gazed down at the earth, like gleaming eyes emerging from a mass of coagulated blood. A wonderful sense of tranquility pervaded my whole being. All that I could feel was the jar pressing against my chest with the weight of a dead body. The interlocking trees with their rye, twisted branches seemed in the darkness to be gripping one another by the hand for fear they should slip and crash to the ground. The sides of the road were lined with weird houses of individual geometrical shapes, with forlorn, black windows. The walls of the houses, like glowworms, gave forth a dim, sickly radiance. The trees passed by alarmingly in clumps, and in rows, and fled away from us. But it appeared to me that their feet became entangled in vines of morning glory, which brought them to the ground. The smell of death, the smell of decomposing flesh, pervaded me, body and soul. It seemed to me that I had always been saturated with the smell of death, and had slept all my life in a black coffin, while a bent old man whose face I could not see transported me through the mist and the passing shadows. The hearse stopped. I picked up the jar and sprang to the ground. I was outside the door of my own house. I hurriedly went in and entered my room. I put the jar down on the table, went straight into the closet, and brought out from its hiding place the tin box which served me as a safe. I went to the door, intending to give it to the old hearse driver in lieu of payment, but he had disappeared, there was no sign of him, or of his hearse. Frustrated, I went back to my room. I lit the lamp, took the jar out of the handkerchief in which it was wrapped, and with my sleeve rubbed away the earth which coated it. It was an ancient vase with a transparent violet glaze, which had turned to the color of a crushed blister fly. On one side of the belly of the vase was an almond-shaped panel framed in blue flowers of morning glory, and in the panel. In the almond-shaped panel was her portrait, the face of a woman with great black eyes, eyes that were bigger than other people's. They wore a look of reproach, as though they had seen me commit some inexpiable sin of which I had no knowledge. They were frightening, magic eyes with an expression of anxiety and wonder, of menace and promise. They terrified me and attracted me, and an intoxicating, supernatural radiance shone from their depths. Her cheekbones were prominent, and her forehead high. Her eyebrows were slender and met in the middle. Her lips were full and half-open. 
Her hair was disheveled, and one strand of it clung to her temple. I took out from the tin box the portrait I had painted of her the night before, and compared the two. There was not an atom of difference between my picture and that on the jar. The one might have been the reflection of the other in a mirror. The two were identical and were, it seemed obvious, the work of one man, one ill-fated decorator of pen cases. Perhaps the soul of the vase painter had taken possession of me when I made my portrait, and my hand had followed his guidance. It was impossible to tell the two apart, except that my picture was on paper, while the painting on the vase was covered with an ancient transparent glaze which gave it a mysterious air, a strange, supernatural air. In the depths of the eyes burned a spark of the spirit of evil. No, the thing was past belief, both pictures depicted the same great eyes, void of thought, the same reserved yet unconstrained expression of face. It is impossible to imagine the sensations that arose in me. I wished that I could run away from myself. Was such a coincidence conceivable? All the wretchedness of my life rose again before my eyes. Was it not enough that in the course of my life I should encounter one person with such eyes as these? And now two people were gazing at me from, from the same eyes, her eyes. The thing was beyond endurance. Those eyes to which I had given burial there, by the hill, at the foot of the dead cypress tree, beside the dry riverbed, under the blue flowers of morning glory, amid thick blood, amid maggots and foul creatures which were holding festival around her, while the plant roots were already reaching down to force their way into the pupils and suck forth their juices, those same eyes, brimful of vigorous life, were at that moment gazing at me. I had not known that I was ill-starred and accursed to such a degree as this. And yet at the same time the sense of guilt that lurked in my mind gave rise to a strange, inexplicable feeling of comfort. I realized that I had an ancient partner in sorrow. Was not that ancient painter who, hundreds, perhaps thousands, of years ago, had decorated the surface of this jar my partner in sorrow? Had he not undergone the same spiritual experiences as I? Until now I had regarded myself as the most ill-starred of created beings. Now I understood for a space that on those hills, in the houses of that ruined city of massive brick, had once lived men whose bones had long since rotted away, and the atoms of whose bodies might now perhaps be living another life in the blue flowers of morning glory, and that among those men there had been one, an unlucky painter, an accursed painter, perhaps an unsuccessful decorator of pencase covers, who had been a man like me, exactly like me. And now I understood, it was all that I was capable of understanding, that his life also had burned and melted away in the depths of two great, black eyes, just as mine had done. The thought gave me consolation. I set my painting beside that upon the jar and went and kindled the charcoal in my opium brazier. When it was burning well I set the brazier down in front of the two paintings. I drew a few whiffs of the opium pipe and, as the drug began to take effect, gazed steadily at the pictures. I felt that I had to concentrate my thoughts, and the only thing that enabled me to do so, 
and to achieve tranquility of mind were the ethereal fumes of opium. I smoked my whole stock of opium, in the hope that the wonder-working drug would resolve the problems that vexed me, draw aside the curtain that hung before the eye of my mind, and dispel my accumulation of distant, ashy memories. I attained the spiritual state for which I was waiting, and that to a higher degree than I had anticipated. My thoughts acquired the subtlety and grandeur which only opium can confer, and I sank into a condition between sleep and coma. Then I felt as though a heavy weight had been removed from my chest, as though the law of gravity had ceased to exist for me, and I soared freely in pursuit of my thoughts, which had grown ample, ingenious, and infinitely precise. A profound and ineffable delight took possession of me. I had been released from the burden of my body. My whole being was sinking into the torpor of vegetable existence. The world in which I found myself was a tranquil world, but one filled with enchanted, exquisite forms and colors. Then the thread of my thoughts snapped asunder, and dissolved amid the colors and the shapes. I was immersed in a sea the waves of which bestowed ethereal caresses upon me. I could hear my heart beating, could feel the throbbing of my arteries. It was a state of existence charged with significance and delight. From the bottom of my heart I desired to surrender myself to the sleep of oblivion. If only oblivion were attainable, if it could last forever, if my eyes as they closed could gently transcend sleep, and dissolve into non-being, and I should lose consciousness of my existence for all time to come, if it were possible for my being to dissolve in one drop of ink, in one bar of music, in one ray of colored light, and then these waves and forms were to grow and grow to such infinite size that in the end they faded and disappeared, then I should have attained my desire. Gradually a sensation of numbness took hold of me. It resembled a kind of agreeable weariness. I had the impression that a continuous succession of subtle waves was emanating from my body. Then I felt as though the course of my life had been reversed. One by one past experiences, past states of mind and obliterated, lost memories of childhood recurred to me. Not only did I see these things, but I took part in the bustle of bygone activity, was wholly immersed in it. With each moment that passed I grew smaller and more like a child. Then suddenly my mind became blank and dark, and it seemed to me that I was suspended from a slender hook in the shaft of a dark well. Then I broke free of the hook and dropped through space. No obstacle interrupted my fall. I was falling into an infinite abyss in an everlasting night after that, a long series of forgotten scenes flashed one after another before my eyes. I experienced a moment of utter oblivion. When I came to myself, I found myself in a small room, and in a peculiar posture which struck me as strange and at the same time natural to me. This was brought to you by The Vine on YouTube and The Storyteller on Facebook. Our podcast is at Roger Hansen on Anchor 2. Support us on either Anchor and Patreon at Roger Hansen as well. We thank you for your participation.
If you enjoyed please like, subscribe, share, make comments. We love feedback.